Welcome, everyone. It's a wrap with rap. I'm your host, Ron Rappaport. Before we start, I would like to thank our listeners, sponsors, and supporters that have helped make this podcast so successful. The podcast is being heard in all 50 states, all provinces of Canada, and 44 countries around the world. Once again, thank you all so much. This podcast features people who have overcome life's challenges and adversities, people who can inspire, motivate, and educate us on an assortment of topics. My guest today is Fred Rutman. Fred, who currently resides in Toronto, Ontario, Canada, has been a marketing consultant and a college professor. After obtaining his MBA, his weight ballooned to 340 pounds. Fred has always been active in athletics, hockey, football, and rugby. In 2009, Fred was forced to take permanent medical leave due to randomly passing out due to his heart stopping, resulting in Fred becoming clinically dead dozens of times. He will discuss with us the results of these events and his subsequent discovery of intermittent fasting and how it changed his life. Fred is currently an intermittent fasting practitioner and traumatic brain injury survivor. Welcome, Fred, to the podcast. Thank you, Ron. Appreciate you having me and appreciate you giving us this platform. Well, you're, you're more than welcome, and it's great to have you. Fred, please tell us a little bit about yourself prior to 2009 and about uh, your weight gain to 340 pounds. What, what caused that? And were you trying any weight loss plans to lose the weight, such as uh, the calories in, calories out methods? Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I was blessed uh, with a bunch of funky genes by my parents. <laughs> Not that I'm absolving myself from any uh, responsibility for the weight gain. But um, I, I was always a chunky monkey as a kid. And uh, when I got older and, you know, uh, immersed myself in school and things like that, I just stopped paying attention to exercise and eating. And uh, once, you know, that that avalanche starts, it's pretty hard to stop it. Yeah. And, uh, uh, eventually around 2003, I think, I was tipping the scales at 340 pounds. So I'm not like an NFL lineman size, you know, I'm only five foot seven. So that was, uh, Oh, I I can understand that. Yeah. Because I'm about, I'm about the same height. And, uh, I know at one time I was up to like 200 and I Mm -hmm. felt like I was carrying a, you know, an elephant around. So Mm -hmm. I can only imagine what 340 pounds is like. Yeah. It wasn't fun, but no, you know, it's sort of like that, um, what's the, the metaphor, analogy, parable about boiling a frog? You know, you just turn it up a degree at a time and the frog doesn't know it's getting boiled. Yeah. And it's the same with, you know, a weight gain like that um, or something even worse, type 2 diabetes. Like, I ended up being diagnosed with type 2 diabetes also in 2009, and I had no clue that that I had type 2 diabetes. So now when you were when you were up to 340, were you trying any uh methods to lose the weight? I tried to up my exercise. Uh at work we had uh, a gym on site at a very subsidized rate. Uh so I was going to the gym every day and doing cardio and I was slimming down a little, but like anytime you try and go on a diet for the majority of people it has results very quickly, but it's not sustainable. 
And that's what it was for me. And I eventually ended up through a friend going to see a bariatric doctor. And he tried me on, you know, the calories in, calories out, mark down everything you eat. And you do that and you show them the results in the app and everything. And of course, like most doctors, they think you're lying because, you know, the simple science says if you, you know, eat less calories and move more, you've got to be losing weight. But that's not how the body works. The body doesn't know what a calorie is. So can you tell us about bio-individuality when it comes to health issues? Oh, wow. That's a big topic. Um, Well, it starts with your genes. um, And it can, we have epigenetic systems, which my understanding is those are the systems we can't see in our genes. So you can see how tall you are. You can see what color your hair is or your eyes are. You know, those are your expressive genes. Your epigenetic genes are the ones that run in the background. So we all have different tolerances with our genes and sensitivities and uh, proclivities to uh, be athletic or not athletic or whatever talents we have. But more than that, we have gut biomes. And our gut biomes have trillions of little bacteria. And these bacteria literally run your world. And they're just finding out more and more about it. And it's almost like a tribal system. You know, you've got the good bacteria that are trying to make you healthy. And there's the bad bacteria, which are trying to defeat the good bacteria. And they send messages up the vagus nerve to your brain to tell you to do things and initiate cravings. And I'm trying to remember this doctor's name. He's an Israeli, uh, Iran Elianov, perhaps. Uh, He's one of the foremost gut biologists in the world. And he says, when you regain weight after a diet, when you do that rebound, because of signals sent from your gut biome, and it wants to be in a better position to defeat the, the good bacteria. So it stacks the deck in its favor. It makes you put on those extra pounds. So it's not a, a willpower thing for most people. It's figuring out how to get your body running properly. So most, talk, talking about that gut, that gut bacteria, are you a proponent of uh, probiotics? I don't know enough about it, but I've, what I've read from uh, Dr. Gabe Merkin, uh, some of your audience might know him. He used to have a national radio show. He says most of the probiotics we get off the shelf yeah. are, are effective in a short term, or the prebiotics and probiotics. They don't seem to have any staying power, according to the research he's read. So they'll work while you take them. But as soon as you stop taking them, your gut biome reverts to its previous iteration. So going by that, no, um, you know, it's sort of like the entire supplement industry. It's very unregulated. And a lot of experts say, you know, you're just uh, creating a lot of expensive pee in the toilet. Mm, Gotcha. So the summer of Fred uh, of 2009 arrives and you start passing out. Uh, tell us about that time period, please. And what was the response from your medical team uh, treating the situation? Wow. Um, 
I have to put out a disclaimer. I'm not trying to bash the medical system. Right. Uh, you know, there's a lot of good people in it. Um, I just happened to run into uh, a bunch of people who weren't on the high performing end. Gotcha. Of this adventure. Um, I didn't know how sick I was, to be honest. I mean, it wasn't until three or four months into this adventure. I think it started in May of 2009. Uh, I, Initially, I didn't realize I was passing out. I thought perhaps I had food poisoning, I had a flu, I had been working too hard, things like that. And then it escalated over time to where I could be walking down the street and I'd have one of these episodes, I called them brain quakes. You know, it literally felt like I was having an earthquake in my brain. And if you've seen fighter pilots going in high gravity situations, they get that... uh, black tunnel vision kind of thing. Yeah. That's that's what it was like for me. I had this brain quake, fade to black, and I collapsed and hit my head on whatever was in the immediate area. So be it a curb, a manhole cover, um, anything like that. And uh, I really didn't know. And I had a combination of not having oxygen to my brain and a whole bunch of concussions in rapid succession. And that can... That can really mess you up. The doctors didn't know what to look for. Um, They kept trying to prove I was having a heart attack. So, you know, we've got this middle-aged, 40-odd-year-old guy, uh, overweight, probably doesn't exercise or eat the best, and uh, he must be having a heart attack. So it seemed to me that they were trying to fit what was happening to me into a predetermined narrative instead of continuously... Well, they were continuously testing me for the same thing, which are the enzymes that are created when you have a heart attack. Uh, And I forget what those are right now. but Yeah, the cardiac enzymes go up. Yes. Yeah. Um, So I wasn't having any of those. So I obviously wasn't having a heart attack. Right. And you would think they would move off the spot and try and think maybe there's something else going on. Yeah. But but they didn't uh, until months later. So you're talking about a complete misdiagnosis. Complete misdiagnosis, miscommunication, uh, being dismissive of what I was telling them, being dismissive of the cardiac strips that the EMTs uh, were showing them from when I was in the ambulance and just dismissing them as, oh, there must have been something wrong with the machine. You can't possibly have uh, an ECG strip like this. So they, they, they didn't do any brain scans or anything like that? Nothing. Through this whole episode, I didn't have one cognitive test, one MRI, one CT scan, not even a head x-ray. Nothing. So I was sort of uh, in nowhere land with what they were trying to treat me with. Right. And even when they figured it out and... Uh, me through my first surgery they didn't give me any recuperation plan there was nothing to address uh my my head issues my you know my concussions or anything like that just okay we figured out there was something wrong with your heart we put in a pacemaker see you in you know 10 15 years when the battery runs out so so 2013 so apparently they put the pacemaker in what 2009 yes Okay, it's 2013, the pacemaker fails, correct? 
Yes, but we didn't know that initially because pacemakers don't generally fail. Okay, so from 2009 to 2013, you're basically on a pacemaker. Yes. And that's it? Yes. Okay. Um, so the pacemaker fails. So what was the response uh, from the medical team on that? Well, again, I ended up going to the hospital a number of times, and they, they couldn't figure it out because it wasn't something they were looking for. You know, they look for pacemaker issues if they get an alert from the pacemaker manufacturers yeah. that, you know, you've got a bunch of bad leads or a bunch of bad batteries. But, but uh, you know, a one-off with me, they weren't looking for that. And it took a number of visits before one of the other uh, pacemaker surgeons took a look at me and put his hand on my chest where the pacemaker is, and he moved the pacemaker over. And it shorted me out right in front of them. And that's when they knew uh, there was a big problem. They had to, to get me into surgery again. So tell our audience uh, what intermittent fasting is and how did you first learn about it? Intermittent fasting, according to one of my doctors, is the most powerful non-medicinal uh, medical tool that we have in the world today. Wow. And I first found out about it during a visit uh, for a regular checkup to my cardiologist in February of 2018. I walked into his office and uh, I was, he walked in and he literally threw a book at me. I'm hoping you can see this. I don't know. Yeah. For our uh, viewers on YouTube, you can probably see it. Uh, maybe you could pull it back a little. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's the blurring thing in Zoom that's yeah. Up. It's called the Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung. Okay. And this is the introduction to intermittent fasting. He's a nephrologist here in Toronto, and he got sick and tired of his patients being sick and tired and losing kidneys and limbs and stuff from type 2 diabetes. And he did his homework, and he realized that Type 2 diabetes. Let me take a moment to tell you about our podcast supporter, sponsor, and guest, Lori Singer, an award-winning licensed marriage family therapist, board certified in applied behavioral analysis. Lori has written her book entitled You're Not Crazy, Living with Anxiety, Obsessions, and Fetishes. Motivated by the tragic death of her son in the late 80s, she has devoted her life to the field of mental health. The book is designed to help those who suffer deeply from anxiety and its manifestations, especially in these times of escalating mental health concerns exacerbated by the devastating pandemic, which has affected so many, including our young children and teenagers, turning their whole life upside down. The book covers topics for those suffering from anxiety, agoraphobia, and irrational fear of entering open or crowded places, of leaving home or being in places where escape is difficult. OCD, obsessive compulsive disorder, excoriation, a compulsion to damage or remove part of the surface of the skin, fetishes, and conversion disorder, exhibiting psychosomatic symptoms including blindness, the inability to speak, and numbness, and paralysis. This illuminating workbook is filled with stories of humanity at its neurotic quirkiest. 
who find life-altering transformation and offers readers a methodical solution that can liberate them from similar anxiety-based disorders. Lori uses a unique therapy of a combination of applying behavioral therapy and cognitive behavioral therapy to resolve behavioral and other mental health issues with a great success rate in her practice. Lori uses case studies from her practice delivered in a digestible narrative format that includes worksheets all designed for the reader to take control of their lives. This is a book that the lay person can read and understand. Those that have read and reviewed the book love how Lori has personalized the book from the get-go by sharing her own personal experiences with this disorder, giving the reader a sense that they are not damaged or alone. If you are suffering or know someone who is from any of the mental and emotional issues listed in the book for the cost of one-tenth of one therapy session, you will get some very powerful tools and a path forward. The tools provided in the book can be applied to many situations, not just those presented in the book. Everyone who reads this book will find something they can use to get them started on the path to overcome their affliction. The book is worth reading to pursue the initial steps toward recovery and health for those who have long suffered without understanding how to fix their condition. Lori tackles a difficult subject with great insight. This book will change your life. The book is available in paperback, hardcover, and ebook formats from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Apple, and other fine retailers. Information pertaining to the book will be listed in the podcast notes. It doesn't have to be a chronic thing or a death sentence, and he's reversed thousands of people who have type 2 diabetes, gotten them off insulin, gotten them off a variety of other medications. Within six months of me starting intermittent fasting, I was off insulin. That's all it took. Six wow. months of intermittent fasting. And my blood sugars are totally normal now. So, so what, what exactly is intermittent fasting? It's not a diet. It's a timed system of eating so i think we all know how to fast right just don't so, eat <laughs> yeah and so a lot of people say i intermittent fast all the time between breakfast and lunch you know right right like that this is setting your body up to uh not eat for longer periods of time we don't do crazy things like you know 15 day fasts or anything like that right but you can start off with what's called a, a 16-8, which is you don't eat for 16 hours. And then you have an eight-hour eating window, which also doesn't mean that you eat for eight hours, but you can have a meal or two, whatever makes you happy in that eight hours. And nobody will tell you what to eat. And at, the more you fast, the more the epigenetics kick in. And the first thing that will happen if you fast is your basal insulin levels will start to drop. So most people think we only produce insulin when we eat, but your body is very finicky about how controlled your blood is and you know pH and blood sugars and everything else that's going on in there. Right. And you're constantly pulsing out little bits of insulin, but you get big dumps of insulin when you eat. And the more basal insulin or floating insulin you have, the more your other hormones seem to get kicked out of whack. Um, if you have too much insulin, it also contributes directly to the hardening of the arteries. So people think it's just plaque and stuff like that. No, if you have too much insulin, it 
uh, it hardens your arteries. And that's one of the reasons you get high blood pressure so quickly when you're overweight is because your, your blood vessels, your veins and arteries can't expand anymore. And when you get those levels of insulin down, it self-corrects. And a whole cascade of other things happen. Um, gets rid of the inflammation in your body. So I would say from playing all those sports and being so overweight, my body ached. Like before all this happened, I every joint in my body hurt. And I, really, I just thought it was from all the abuse. But now I know it. I had body-wide inflammation. Sure. I had no idea you could have that. And that, you know, it had nothing to do with, with all the sports I played. And the intermittent fit, intermittent fasting just got rid of that. I'd say within three months, I noticed a significant difference. So I'm now probably fasting for roughly four years. And I don't have an ache or pain in my body. I don't have asthma anymore. My diabetic retinopathy went away. My sleep apnea went away. Um, I don't get migraines anymore. I rarely get a headache. And this isn't just me. I, I was the coach in a, in a fairly big fasting group. And we just see this from thousands and thousands of people. So wow, it's, that, that, it's that's amazing. Yeah. So, so Fred, after learning about intermittent fasting, how did you change your diet? Uh, what foods did you delete and what foods uh, did you add? Initially, nothing. I, I started actually because I was on so many medications and had had all these surgeries. Um, they were very cautious with me. And the doctor said, start at 12-12. So 12-hour fast and then 12-hour eating window. And... I started seriously doing this in May of 2018. And by the high holidays, when we had to fast for Yom Kippur, I was already fasting a 23-1 schedule. And I didn't plan this. I, you know, I'm like most people, I can't fast for, you know, 20 hours, 25 hours, whatever. It just yeah. happens so naturally. It, it seems it's what my body craved. And uh, I almost felt guilty on Yom Kippur. You're supposed to feel guilty for a lot of things on Yom Kippur. <laughs> right. But I, I felt guilty that the fast was so easy for me compared to everybody else because I had been intermittent fasting. Right, right. So when you say uh, you did a 23-1, were you doing the 20, you weren't doing the 23-1 every day, were you? Pretty much, yeah. Really? Yeah, you. So you were only eating one hour out of the day. Yeah, one meal, whatever that meal is. I mean, when when you were as fat as I was, you know, you've literally got hundreds of thousands of calories for your body to burn. Yeah. You know, so your body flips over to a system of of using ketones for fuel instead of carbs. Right. And it makes your brain very happy. It gets rid of a lot of your brain fog. You can just think so much more clearly. You're happier. Um, your serotonin levels go up. I mean, it just seems like it's too miraculous to be real. But I see it over and over again. I see it with people that I've coached and talked to. Um, it's just uh, 
a really great tool. Now, are you are you are you still as we speak on a twenty three one schedule? No, I have switched my schedule. Uh, I had a, a major heart surgery, and then I had a really nasty bout of COVID and stuff like that. So it took me a while to get back to that. So generally, I do a twenty four kind of fast, but on Sunday evening, I do. Uh, we call a mealless Monday, or it's a modified alternative day fast. So I'll I'll fast from Sunday evening till Tuesday mid afternoon. Wow! So anywhere between thirty eight and 40, 42 hours. So I should add, when I say fast, it's not a dry fast. It's you know we're drinking water, black coffee, black tea, um, no flavorings, no sweeteners. So. Uh, Jen Stevens, who's my fasting guru, um, and here's another book you probably can't see. Oh, maybe. Jen Stevens. Yeah, I see it. Fast, feast, repeat. Fast, um, feast, repeat. Jen Stevens. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is my fasting Bible. Um, and I, the most I've learned the most about fasting from her. And Dr. Fung's book is very sciencey. Jen's is more focused on this is how to fast and tweak your fast so it'll be more <clears throat> excuse me more successful for you so i guess that leads into my next question does one have to be super restrictive about the foods you eat and the answer obviously is no no um as you fast for longer periods of time and i mean you know over the months as opposed to longer longer fasts you'll find that as your gut microbiome changes and all your hormones readjust and reset, you'll find yourself craving different foods and you will find that food tastes differently. So things you used to really enjoy, you might yeah. not enjoy them anymore. Wow. And, and that's sort of a, am I allowed to swear? Yeah. Well, it's sort of a I, mind F for, okay. for a lot of people. It's, it's okay. hard to reconcile these things. Okay. I know I should like this. I know I should. So you're talking about I things like know. chocolate, maybe things like that. Yeah. The first thing I noticed for me was Twizzlers. I'm guessing you have Twizzlers in the States. Yeah. The licorice. Yeah. yeah. So um, that's the first thing I, I was eating some and I was like, this just tastes like chewy wax. Like this isn't appealing at all. That, wow. was, uh, that was the first thing I noticed. And, you know, some people will find themselves more oriented towards a vegetarian or a vegan diet. Some people will find they go more to a carnivore-ish. Some people have a more balanced diet. So that's part of the bio-individuality. It's going to lead you down a path and your body's going to tell you what it wants. Yeah. Well, Fred, what are the important components of intermittent fasting? I think the most important component which is pretty common to most things you undertake is your mindset. You, uh, you have to be confident that the process works and you cannot compare yourself to anybody else's progress. Uh, what's that phrase? Comparison is the killer of joy. Yeah. And uh, you know, because my body's had different traumas and weight loss adventures than your body and somebody else's bodies, it's not going to cure itself at the same rate, particularly women who have 
gone through a lot of yo-yo dieting, it goes back to that gut biome. The more you've yo-yo dieted, the harder it is for you to lose weight. And, you know, intermittent fasting will probably take longer for you to see the weight loss. But as Jen Stevens says, it's more of a health program with a side benefit of weight loss. Yeah. So it's not something specifically designed for weight loss. No, it's just a really good benefit. Um, You know, if you're, if you want to get into that suit or dress for your kid's wedding in three weeks, this isn't the program. Okay. You're looking for a crash diet. And then of course you'll, you'll gain everything back most likely. Right. This is a longer term solution. And I can't see myself not doing intermittent fasting. It's just been that good to me. What was the eating window you started with and how long does it take to increase the fasting times? I, because I was on so many medications, I started on a 12 hour, 12 hour split. Yeah. And, uh, I think by September, October, I was up to a 23 one and it wasn't something I was actively pursuing. I just found myself getting to that. Oh, I haven't eaten for 16 hours, but I'm not hungry. Okay. I'll just wait. And, and it happens like that for a lot of people, you know, your mileage may vary. I'm pretty sure it will. Yeah. So you said your taste buds uh, do change on this, right? And your cravings change. Mm-hmm. Yes. I eat a ton more vegetables and fruit than I ever did. And things that I used to go, Bleh, you know, uh, to the broccolis and the yeah. cauliflowers. And right, the, right. That's the first like thing that, that came to my mind. <laughs> yeah, the Brussels sprouts. Love them. Wow. So what what is what was the longest fast you've done and what it, what is the recommended maximum fast? I guess it depends if you're on uh under a doctor's care or you're in like a clinical or hospital setting. Uh for one of my surgeries uh have to calculate the numbers. Um I decided to do a 36 hour fast before the surgery. And uh because they want you to fast before the surgery anyway. Yeah. Um, And then the surgery went longer than it was supposed to, and then went through recovery. So I think it was around 90 hours unintentionally. Wow. So So, you're talking almost four days. Yeah, it was, uh, it was very unintentional, but you know, when you have a a heavy duty surgery, you really don't feel like eating much anyway. And uh, so I wouldn't recommend that for most people. Um, Right. A lot of people are fine fasting every day. You know, I've uh, been, we have a lot of people in the cancer community uh, listening Mm -hmm. to this. Uh, I've, I'm a two-time male breast cancer survivor. Mm -hmm. I currently finished my treatment for chemo and radiation. And before I've read a lot uh, before you do chemo, and maybe you've heard about this, Mm -hmm. people fast. And it makes yeah. uh, the side effects less. Have you have you read anything or heard of anything in your group about that? Um, yes. So we've heard that it helps you recover for a couple of reasons. One, cancer loves sugar, but most cancers cannot eat ketones. So if you switch over your fuel source 
it makes it harder for the, the cancer to progress. And if it can't progress as much, there's less of it for you to be cured or for it to be cured. So the theory goes. Try to remember the doctor's name, Thomas Freiberg, maybe? Um, I think from Boston University is a big proponent of fasting before and, and during chemo. Yeah, and I also heard that if you don't eat, you, know, you fast before the chemo, the cells uh, slow down. So the division of them, and so therefore the, the chemo drug is going to go for the rapidly acting cancer cells and kind of stay away from the good cells. I don't know. I mean, that was one of the theories I read too. Yeah, I, I can understand that because if they if they aren't getting the sugar that they want that helps them, uh, you know, tumorize or whatever the proper word is. Sorry. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, they are going to slow down uh, and they're going to struggle, and it might make them easier targets. So I, I could buy into that. So what are the benefits of intermittent fasting on the body and on the mind? Can you give us some of the benefits? Sure. When I used to do speeches, I had a, a list of about 40 things that people in the fasting group had reported. Um, one of the things that really ramps up is something called autophagy. And a Japanese scientist just won the Nobel Prize for this in 2016. And out of respect to him, I'm not even going to try <laughs> to pronounce his name. Right. Um, so autophagy is one of these epigenetic systems that we have and basically it's your body's process for cleaning up wayward proteins in your cells so proteins get misused and misappropriated and they end up clogging up our cells much like a clogged drain so we have this process called autophagy that goes into the cells and starts cleaning them out the more it can clean them out better your cell runs so it's like getting a tune-up or, you know, um, I don't even know how cars work anymore, uh, getting your spark plugs cleaned, that kind of thing. And you can produce more energy. Um, the longer you go into a fast, up until about 40 hours, the more powerful the process of autophagy is and the more it cleans out your cells and helps you. So it finds any sort of protein. So people report that all sorts of scars have disappeared, scars they've had for decades. Wow. Women have reported that their cesarean scars have disappeared. Stretch marks have disappeared. I know the scarring I've got on my legs and my chest from my heart surgeries is drastically cleaner than people that have had similar surgeries around the time I did. That's the first thing that ramps up. Uh, the other thing that ramps up for many people is growth hormone. And this is particularly important for women uh, because growth hormone is the major driver of bone density. And we know women are prone to osteoporosis as they age. And uh, this helps fend off the osteoporosis. So many, many benefits. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So I have some uh, rapid fire questions about intermittent fasting for you. Okay. Uh, is a 16-8 fast 
more advantageous than the 1212 fast? I would think for most people, yes. Okay. What liquids can you drink in the fast period? I go by Jen Stevens clean fast protocol. So it's only water or sparkling water with no flavoring or sweeteners and only black coffee or black tea or green tea, again, with no flavorings or artificial sweeteners um, or sweeteners. Uh, none of the things like bulletproof coffee, because when your body is being given extra calories, it's going to not want to fast. So it's sort of a self-defeating thing. There, there's a myth that you can have anything you want during the fast as long as it's 50 calories or less. So, but nobody's ever shown any science to prove that's true. Okay. Are fast times different for men and women? They don't have to be. There, there's also legend, and I'm not a woman, so I say this uh, tentatively, but the, the group I coached in was 335,000 people and 96% of them were women. And we did not treat them any differently. Um, you have to be sensible during your cycles when your body is preparing to go into your, your period. Um, yeah. It wants, you know, your body will likely want you to eat a little more. And uh, so you eat a little more those days. And, um, you know, when you come to, if you're pregnant or breastfeeding, do not fast. I mean, you know, it's just not good. Okay. So it's a contraindication. Is, is exercise encouraged during intermittent fasting? Yes. Uh, you have to be careful that your body is, uh, has flipped the metabolic switch. So it's gone over to burning ketones very easily. Um, but I was doing 90-minute bike rides in the Toronto heat, which is not quite as savage as the uh, Florida heat. But, you know, it's, uh, you know, 100 degrees with the Humidex. And uh, I was doing 90-minute bike rides, 38 and 40 hours fasted. I, I know people that do marathons fully fasted. So other than pregnancy, what are the other contraindications for intermittent fasting? Things that you, you shouldn't, you know, yeah. that you shouldn't have. If you've had an eating disorder of any type, okay, we don't recommend you doing intermittent fasting. And if you do try it, it really has to be under strict medical supervision. And just, you know, if you're on certain medications, like I was on insulin, so which is based on how many carbs you're eating with a meal. So because I was eating less and less and less, I had to keep going back to the diabetes clinic and get my glucometer uh, recalibrated every few weeks. Right. Yeah, it makes sense. Is there yeah. any age restriction to doing intermittent fasting? Not that I know of. I mean, we've had people in the groups that were in their 80s. You know, there's like, you know, I haven't been able to lose 30 pounds since I was, when, you know, yeah. stuff like that. So it's really wonderful to hear people feel like they've got a new lease on life and, you know, they can get on the floor and play with the grandkids and things like that. Right. Uh, they can fit in an airplane seat. Yeah. That was a big one for me. <laughs> I, I, here's an auto... My feet used to swell up on the plane, even flying back to my hometown of Winnipeg, which is only a two and a half hour flight. I'd get back to, to Winnipeg and I'd have to take off my shoes because my feet were so swollen. 
and it would take two or three days for the swelling to go away. And wow. now that doesn't happen anymore. What books on the subject do you recommend our audience to read? And now they might be the two you showed us. If we could go over that one more time. Mm-hmm. Well, um, the Obesity Code by Dr. Jason Fung is is the classic. Okay. Um, and that's more of a science. He, he's got another few books and a lot of videos on the internet. Um, so you can just do a search for Dr. Jason Fung and find all sorts of things. Okay, so that's Jason, F like and Frank, U-N-G, correct? Yes. Okay. Um, so um, anything by Jen Stevens. Jen has two podcasts. Uh, one she's not affiliated with anymore, but they did about 250 or 300 episodes with her on it uh, called the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. You know, really creative title, <laughs> but it worked for them. So again, they take questions from the audience and discuss, you know, people having this issue, that issue. Can I do this? Can I do that? All sorts of things. So it's very informative. And she's also got the podcast, Intermittent Fasting Stories. And it's people telling their intermittent fasting journey. Okay. Uh, There was one, one episode in particular that was just like over the top. Amazing. I think it was number 17. Uh, Jen is G I N and Stevens is S T E P H E N S. Correct. Correct. Okay. Good. All right. We talked about was mine. Pardon. Episode number 17 was my podcast. Oh, 17. All right, everybody. Number (laughs) 17 is Fred. They're all great podcasts. Tune into that one. Uh, you told us about epigenetics. Uh, tell us about the refeed process. Oh, okay. That's generally something that you do for a longer fast. So when I do one of these 38, 40, 42 hours, um, firstly, it's hard to eat right after you've done a fast like that. Your body doesn't really feel like eating. So you have to sort of uh, tease yourself into eating and give yourself, you know, some small appetizers and stuff like that. And then you can have an, another meal. But Jin's guidance is generally that you should have two substantive, and substan- substantive is relative to, to everybody, two substantive meals after you've done a longer fast so that your body doesn't think that you're in a, some sort of food crisis. And, and it won't tank your metabolism. Okay. Now, Fred, can you tell us about the book you're working on titled The Summer I Died 20 Times? And when will it be out? Well, that book is my adventures from the summer of 2009, which is what happened to me. I was clinically dead 20 times. And the adventures that I went on, you know, trying to navigate the medical system all the way through 2018 uh, through a couple of botched surgeries and pacemaker failures and trying to figure out how to heal myself without any serious plan. Um, And, you know, your body's pretty smart. It can tell you so many things about how it wants to operate if we can find a way to listen to what it's telling us. And what I've learned is if you eat a lot of ultra processed foods, it blocks your body's signals. You know, you no longer know when you're really hungry. You never know when you're really satisfied. 
don't know if you're getting the nutrition you need. So I go into a lot of that and how I found intermittent fasting and what it did for me. Little sarcasm, little dark humor, little <laughs> Jewish content. Um, it goes all over the map. Yeah, just 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 curious, but do you eat a lot of organic foods? No, no, I don't. No. You know, that's one of these things where as a former marketer, I'm a little suspicious uh, okay. of what things are truly organic and you know, they've just achieved an organic label. Um, right. You know, kind of like the supplement industry. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's I can be really... cynical about some things. Yeah. Now, for those struggling out there, Fred, with food issues, uh, can you give them some last words of advice or wisdom? Sure. We talked about it before. Um, your attitude is everything. And I'm not saying everything's going to be easy for you. And this isn't a utopian uh, tool, but it's a really good tool. And don't give up on it because you know, our, our basic intuition is to compare ourselves to others. And we see all the glamour magazines and all the Instagram photos. And, you know, and we forget those are all touched up and those people look like that for, you know, 13 minutes in a month. You know, <laughs> they don't really look like that. And they're right. miserable. They're miserable because they're dieting so hard. So don't, please don't fall into that trap. There, there is a way out. And Viktor Frankl, the Holocaust survivor psychiatrist, um, in his book, Man's Search for Meaning, uh, I guess to sum it up, he says, if you have hope, you can overcome anything. And, you know, if you have hope that you can cure yourself, that's your biggest superpower. And that must have, I mean, you must have had a lot of hope between 2009 and, you know, with all that stuff going on and the pacemakers and all that. How did you, how did you keep your spirits up? Well, uh, I'm surrounded by an amazing community uh, that supports me. So that's, that's a big thing. Uh, I have a strong belief in God. And, um, and I think because my parents struggled with their health issues and I watched them growing up. I've been given a front row of seat to how to overcome adversity and to be resilient. And I think I'm blessed with a really strong resilience gene. That's good. Yeah, that's great. Fred, I don't how think can... I'm anyone special. I, I think, you know, it's like a muscle. You can exercise it and you'll get better at it. Right. Don't give up. It's the main thing. How, how can people contact you, Fred? Uh, they can find me on my Instagram, uh, repeatedly dead Fred, and okay. they can email me if they want, repeatedly dead at gmail.com. Okay, I'm going to put that in the podcast notes. I want to thank you so much, Fred, for being on the podcast and sharing your incredible journey uh, back to good health and for alerting us. Uh, to the world of intermittent fasting. I wish you all the best with the book and your coaching. Comments and suggestions uh, to improve the podcast, you can email me at it's a wrap with rap at gmail.com. Uh, you can go on our website, it's a wrap with rap.com. All the episodes are on there. We have a Facebook group, a Facebook page. Our group uh, is growing very nicely. It's in the thousands. It's a wrap with rap. Instagram, it's a wrap with rap podcast. And all the episodes are on YouTube. 
It's a wrap with Wrap the Podcast Uncut. Thanks, everyone, for listening. And for now, it's a wrap. For all our great listeners that love this podcast, you will also love our supporter and former guest, Debbie Montgomery Johnson's podcast aired every Thursday morning at 9 a.m. Eastern Time titled Stand Up and Speak Up. Debbie is known as the woman behind the smile, renowned author, speaker, and victim advocate. The show offers a fun and informative time. Listen to people who have been through extraordinary struggles and found the courage to step out from behind their smiles and to speak up about their experiences and the lessons learned. For more information, please go to Debbie's website, thewomanbehindthesmile.com, to obtain the Zoom link for the podcast. (laughs) 